Hey guys, today on our show, our guest is Sebastian Weber. Sebastian is a sports scientist, a coach, a coaching consultant, and the founder of Inside. And uh, Sebastian's um, near the top of my list of folks to talk to about physiology and uh, specifically metabolism. Uh, every time I have a chat with him, I really have to pay a lot of attention, to be perfectly honest, so as not to miss uh, the uh, you know the the really valuable tidbits that uh, come out of our chats. Um, today's interview is a little bit different because we sort of launched right into the introduction. Uh, so this is my version of introducing him. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hi everyone. I'm Andrew, and I'm Michael, and this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. So I, I study sports science and uh, molecular human biology. The first one I got uh, awarded a special prize for the uh, quickest, uh, the shortest time duration to finish university with the best grade. Um, the second one I didn't finish because T-Mobile knocked the door at that time, or Team Hyro shortly afterwards, and and uh, offered me a job as a head coach, uh, science sports scientist whatsoever. So um, when, when was that? Uh, that was 2006. Basically, when they fired Jan Ulrich and replaced the whole management, and Bob Stapleton came on. Uh, okay. Okay. That's basically, that's basically when I came on, and one re or, and one reason basically was um, that they started to work with like T-Mobile. Also, always was using power meters, SM power meters, and so on and so forth. And they wanted somebody on board who is um, who has no bad record, so to speak, bad history in cycling in terms of doping or anything, right. but has a very deep understanding on power meter data. Right. And um, what I was doing at that time, what I started to do in 2001, um, developed, like 2001, I developed, uh, 2001, 2002, developed a test for a direct assessment on glycolytic or anaerobic power output on the bike. So VLMX, so to yep. speak. And um, and then from there on, I went I went on to do the first um, systems, the first uh, algorithms, very very simple um, compared to what you see today. But to look at you know the interplay of of aerobic and anaerobic metabolism, and then started um, a research project on um, adaptation, uh, training adaptation in cycling, uh, which on the first hand sounds pretty you know, boring or old school, because like, uh, what does that mean? Basically, what we are trying to do or, or what the project was about, and it ran, uh, the, the project was like three years, um, we were looking at the dose-response relationship. Yep. So not like, yeah, you train, you get better. Well, that's pretty boring that we already knew. But what you need to train and how much you train to trigger a specific re answer of the system, so to speak, right? right? In both systems, you and all this, all this development of the new testing and being able to debunk or disclose power data and understand physiologically what's behind the power. That's basically what caught the interest of professional cycling, mm -hmm. and this is basically how I came into professional cycling. And then, you know, Team High Road HTC Columbia, what whatever it was, um, we use those methods. We use those methods. Um, so the, the, you know, the, what, what you see today, uh, in many, many teams, we use this, uh, to, for, 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 for monitoring riders, for recruiting, um, recruiting, uh, young riders and, and scouting and obviously for, for performance assessment. Okay. Right? Yeah. So that was kind of how I came into professional cycling and ended up there for, um, the better of like 10 years or something. And then um, since 2016, I think it is, uh, 16, 17, somewhere at that time, I kind of do less uh, and less in terms of coaching teams and coaching athletes. I only have a very, very few uh, athletes left who I directly work yep. with. But I do now work um, a lot as a consultant uh, in different sports. So we have a project with swimming federations, kayak federations, ice skating, cycling, triathlon. So I I work with different teams and federation as a performance uh, advisor, like do like kind of coach the coach 
um, kind of consultancy. Um, yeah, so that's the last couple of years, so to speak. That, that's uh, that's an excellent introduction, Sebastian. Um, and thank you very much for coming on our show today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And uh, just a note to our listeners, Andrew is not going to be around today. He got pulled into uh, an important meeting, but uh, he will be back with us next week. So um, here I am uh, talking to Sebastian Weber of uh, Inside. And uh, my relationship with Sebastian started about, well, about a year ago when um, uh, his business partner gave me a call and suggested that Inside was a, a technology and a, and a system that would be worth uh, worthwhile for X3 to explore for um, testing and monitoring the performance of, of our triathletes uh, and uh, kind of as a... Uh, you know, an evidence-based kind of coach. Uh, it was something that was of you know of obvious in- interest to me. Uh, but in order for for you guys to understand where that interest comes from, um, I'm going to spend a few minutes in talking about how things used to be. So, how individual riders or teams used to assess the um, the f- fitness, their ability, their rider's ability to essentially generate power and uh, what was able, what they were able to do with that data. And then some of the, you know, maybe some of the limitations of those methods and the, the data that they, uh, they supplied. Um, so Sebastian, if we jump back into kind of the early days of, uh, of power meters, and I know you mentioned that you developed some of these algorithms in the early the early 2000s I, I really don't think that very many people were aware of them obviously and and weren't weren't using them so back in the early 2000s even in the early 2000 teens what were uh, people doing and uh, and how was it perhaps not the optimal approach yeah um, it even goes a step further we, we, we uh, just to comment real quick on that we even used those algorithms to develop pacing strategies for time trials and um we had we had once a year we had like media days with a team where we were you know show off all the different technologies for recovery ice baths and individual nutrition anything that we were doing in the team to to really tell the story about what the team was doing and every time the gm would come and say ah yeah but you're not allowed to talk about this pacing thing and this <laughs> performance there um so but in terms of testing you know in terms of testing especially in professional cycling um as you know a, a sport which is you know historically um has its roots in in europe and europe being very keen and has a has a big history of of uh, of lactate testing and lactate profile testing what mm-hmm. the most teams would be doing you know since the 80s um similar to other sports would be just be you know just normal uh, incremental lactate profile testing right um look at whatever thresholds for millimoles three millimoles any inclines in the lactate curve or whatsoever that would be kind of kind of the standard things you would be doing in the 80s and the 90s and maybe also in the early 2000s um, as a professional cyclist obviously right. lab based some coaches also would do it uh, field based they would do it on the climb or something like that um, but in terms of testing the whole team it would be it would be only lab based right right and then power meters so to speak came on and then you get the first disconnect because now you have to prove that your race, uh, your your bike race, does not look like an incre- incremental test, right? It's not like steady for five minutes and then the power goes up. It's basically power <laughs> up and down all the time. Sure. Um, and so it was very difficult, not to say impossible, to relate what you see in the lab to what you see outside. I mean, not yeah, it's not impossible, but it's you. You can see, you know, people that feel that there's some some disconnect, so to speak, right? Okay. Um, and yeah, and then um, I think it it went on for the for the, for for the most of the time, and then and then people started to look at you know simplified testing methods, um, which you know which would just look at maximum power output for like initially if it was four minutes only, and then obviously you would look at maximum power in a sprint or maximum power over the race, and so on and so forth, um, and still would do because maybe because of tradition or whatever but still most people would do incremental lactate testing um with a team with the limitation with that being 
you know, a nice setup um, because many teams then also would start to use uh, additional sprint tests or additional metabolic car tests to look at fat and carbohydrate combustion, all different kinds of things, right? To, so the, the evolution was more towards a more complete um, testing procedure to really understand all different aspects of the physiology and performance of the athlete. Um, right. But then, you know, given the nature of professional cycling, it's like, uh, yeah, uh, it's only one time in the winter. Maybe if you're lucky twice, but then in a very short period, like then maybe in November and January, right? Um, but actually you would never have any good data during the season, right? Because it's just not feasible to bring in the whole team into a laboratory for two days, right? Uh, with riders scattered out all over the globe or at least all over Europe uh, yes. during the season. So that was a big, uh, a big problem, so to speak, yeah. For sure. And then that's, that's for professional, professional teams with, you know, budgets. And if you looked at recreational athletes, uh, doing this kind of testing, I think, you know, there were a few people definitely, um, getting into the, the incremental test and taking blood, yeah. blood lactate at each step. Um, and I think there were, you know, as soon as, as soon as power meters became a little bit more popular, there were sort of, you know, critical power style tests to, to determine, you know, the, the metric that everyone kicks around the, the, the threshold. Uh, right. metric and whether or not it was the you know the 20 minute test and you would you know discounted by five percent or you know you could get a little bit more um you know with with phil skiba's work on um on uh, critical power and w prime you can get a little bit more uh sophisticated and do two you know two tests to exhaustion or not to exhaustion but maximal power yeah, over duration yeah. tests and and use his calculator to calculate uh, critical power um, so that was, that, I think that was a little bit more available to people without, you know, without labs to go to who couldn't afford a, a cart test or didn't want to, you know, spend three, $400 on cart tests all the time. Yeah. And it's also, it's also, I think a little bit where you look, uh, on in which region of, of this, of this planet you're looking at, right. In North America with, you know, bigger distances, so to speak, to travel, to go to a lab. And then maybe the density, so to speak of, of human performance leap not being high, and not having maybe um, a long, many years history culture of of of, of lactate testing, um, you know the power only testing, critical power, twenty minutes, whatever it is, doesn't really matter. Uh, gained much faster traction. While over in Europe, it's a little bit different um, because because you know more people were used to do lab testing, right? Uh, incremental lactate lab, lab testing, and therefore and therefore the acceptance is still different, right? There's still more people, significant more people doing doing uh, doing lactate testing. Um, Right, um, so there's a there's a clear difference, I think, in in those two cultures and those two those two regions. Um, what started to be a problem, though, a little bit, is that um, for for people who do you know conventional lactate uh, profile testing, is that at the end of the day, you 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 when when you compare what you get out of a conventional lactate profile test and in terms of training recommendation, right, you get some kind of estimation of an anaerobic threshold with whatever yes. kind of lactate profile concept and then with your power meter you get some kind of you know estimation of what your threshold is and then in both cases like i'm talking about difference between doing your own field-based power meter testing with your own power meter on your own bike using whatever software uh to yep. look at the data uh versus a, a, a lab test at the end of the day <laughs> you would find that okay what i get from the lab test from just a normal lactate profile is not so much different than what i get from just my power meter testing only and that in the last decade or so gave a lot of labs uh, in europe a hard time to justify their service okay yeah that makes sense because you the numbers the numbers would agree for the most part you say well i mean <sighs> Depends obviously what kind of concept you're using for your outdoor testing and depends on what kind of lactate profile and concept to evaluate your lactate curve you're using. But the outcome, I mean, like both are kind of wrong, you know, both have some tolerances, <laughs> some deviations, sure. right? And then to be fair, I mean, I mean, look, even let's say your threshold and your critical power test, which you did by yourself is 250 watts. And let's say, just to give one example, in the lab is maybe 235. So maybe yes. even there's a 15 watts in this case, maybe whatever, um, 6% difference. And you, you, you start to look at, oh, one is my own power meter, one is the ergometer, right? One is indoors, one is outdoors. And then you do training zones and you 
do whatever 70 70 for my base training zone right or whatsoever sure uh, and then and then you know what this error or this difference this uncertainty of six percent becomes only three to four percent and then you are mm -hmm. you know and then it's not relevant anymore right because you mean the fact uh, that there is a difference is not relevant anymore? yeah i mean uh, i mean you don't need to argue if your threshold is 235 or 250 if, like for real right i agree you don't yep. you don't need to argue you deduct 30 percent of that and then you ride along at that power output for three hours and we both know that it doesn't matter if you're riding at whatever that then is if you're riding at 170 watts or the 175 watts i mean it's not changing anything sure, <laughs> right? sure. So, so, so so therefore there's no real benefit from doing just a simple lactate profile test over testing with your power meter yourself when it comes to when it you know as long as it's only having an estimation of a threshold and doing some percentages extrapolate to some training zones, you know, it's, uh, there's no, no big difference in quality, so to speak. Understood. So then um, now let's, uh, let's kind of jump back to what you were talking about, the algorithms that you developed in the early 2000s to look specifically at the role of the glycolytic cycle in power production. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that concept? And you, you termed it VLA max. Um, ex if you can explain what VLA max is, uh, how it's relevant to power production and to, you know, uh, athletes in different sports. And then, um, you know, what maybe we can from there jump into what inside does as far as uh, calculating that and how that's useful to all of us. Oh, that's many, many questions. That's many questions. Let's <laughs> let's let's start with let's start with the glycolytic uh, yeah, power production. Yeah, I mean, I mean, let, first let me state that I didn't name it VLA Max. Um, okay. <laughs> but maybe a little bit linking it back to what we talked about the history, right? You know, because what happened? What happened when people start to look at mostly power data and do their own power testing? Um, what happened is something that is. Um, or two things happen. One thing happened, people tend, because the focus, the focus shifts on the power, right? Now the testing is done with power only, sure. and, right? And before yep. you would go to the lab, you maybe sometimes look at body composition at VO2 max, you look at lactate values, right? You have all different kinds of things. Now the whole focus, historically, sort of shifts towards power, right? Mm -hmm. And so what happens, at least my point of view, is that you know, people tend to forget or tend not to think about the physiology which is actually creating this power, right? Yeah, they um, look at output only. They look at the output only, exactly, exactly. And this changed, right? Because initially we would want to understand, we would do these lab testing, even if it's only one time a year, right? In all different sports, and triathlon and running and swimming, you know, you put your athletes in whatever lab, you know, and recreation athlete maybe a more simpler lab, and then a testing protocol, and then elite athlete a more more sophisticated to really find out the, about the physiology of the athlete. To really find out, okay, where can he improve? Right? Does he need to change his body composition, e.g., lose body fat, or should he increase his VO two max, or you know, like understand which lever I can I can I can turn here to increase performance? And yeah. then with power only, everything shifted towards power, um, and we. We lost a little bit of focus on, okay, let's step back a second and understand where the power is coming from, right? Mm -hmm. um, okay, and, that's really interesting, yeah. And the other thing that happened, which is similar, basically, what happened to anaerobic threshold, um, or which, is, which, which especially happened to the four millimole threshold, right? Uh, which is, everybody knows, but everybody goes like, oh, you can't work with four millimole, right? That's like so old school. Um, what happened is, it initially... Initially, the power output was the result. It was a symptom of your performance, right? It was, it is, it is, um, power output is a great, it's a great uh, metric to benchmark the performance, right? It's yes. a great benchmark to understand how you're performing. And when you monitor it in training, it is a great metric to understand how you are training, right? I can look in my power file and look and look at the power of, power of my athlete and understand what kind of training did he do precisely, right? Much mm -hmm. more precise when looking at, as a, compared to looking at, at heart rate only. But the point is what happened, and again, it's the same what happened to four millimoles threshold in running in the, in the 70s and 80s is people mistake that for I can use this to make an informed decision on how to train. So power tells you how you are training but power does not tell you how to train. 
Are you talking about the the power profile of your let's say your recent rides? Well, well, whatever you know. Um, I can come up to you and say, Michael, look, um, I want to run a marathon. My body fat is twenty five percent, right? Then you most likely have an idea and say, okay, I know I can turn this lever and I can decrease his body fat. I mean, if I can decrease his body fat, then he will run a marathon faster, right? Agreed. Right? So you look at the physiological number and you get an idea on, okay, I know what I should do in training or preparation in a more general prospect, right? I know what I should do in preparation. I know that there, I know which, which mechanics I have to, I have to use here, right? The mechanics of energy restriction and these kind of things, right? Sure. Now I come to you and say, Michael, my FTP is 300 watts. What should I train? That's right. Yeah, that doesn't tell me anything. I, I understand, I understand you know what, what I mean? you're going it's with this. It's very yep. limited. Right? It tells me, it, like, if I, or other words, for me more precisely, to go back to this expression, power is telling you how you're training, not how to train. I, Michael, I, I come to you and say, Michael, I can do 30 minutes, 300 watts. Then you know what I did in training, not necessarily know what I should train the next day, right? One hundred percent. No, that makes so, a ton of sense. Yeah, it's it's a yeah, it's a performance metric only. It's, it doesn't. It's not u- necessarily super useful. Yeah, it's a performance metric, and people start to yeah, and people start to misuse it, so to speak, a little bit too much, maybe uh, to think it tells them how to train, and then a lot of confusion happens, and a lot of questions come up because then you're kind of lost out there and don't know. Okay, should I do longer intervals, shorter intervals? Should I do intervals or should I focus on long, slow distance? And all this is not answered by power, right? That's a problem, and this is why we have all this buzz around. Um, yeah, um, you know, how should we train and so on and so forth. So I guess I didn't even t- started to answer your VLMX question. No, but you didn't. But you, <laughs> Sorry. You, you, answered, you answered the question of, uh, of you know, what's wrong with using power only to guide your training. And that's what, that's what people who were doing just, you know, uh, field tests uh, using a power meter, that's what they were doing. They were coming up with uh, an estimate of anaerobic threshold, as you said, and uh, they were basically using percentages of that threshold to design their training programs. Yeah, now I take your point and that that's just not enough. Well, it takes you to a certain point, right? But we also have to be aware that, again, historically, we start to lose the focus on the physiological mechanisms that enable you to produce a certain power um, and that we maybe overthink a little bit, overestimate the abilities of just looking at a power output to make an informed decision on what you, sh- what you should do in training, right? Um, right. Which then partly, okay, let's come back to your question now about the VLA max or the anaerobic or more precisely glycolytic power output, right? So um, basically what the aim was, like you, you, you went back to this 2001 story, is um, is to, well, to understand, I mean, obviously we know that power is generated in different metabolic pathways. It's no rocket science. You know, every student learns this pretty early on. You can you right. can use creatine phosphate, which you break down to produce energy or power. You can use an anaerobic pathway called glycolysis, where you turn glucose into lactate, and then you can burn this lactate or fatty acids in the aerobic metabolism. So these are the three metabolic pathways. And... Um, VO2max, most people know, VO2max is an indicator for the ability of your athlete to produce energy in the aerobic pathway. And that's pretty well known. That's around 40K. There's many validated and uh, reliable protocols for that. Um, so that's like, you know, that that box was, was checked here, so to speak. Um, but mm-hmm. then especially in cycling, but also in other sports, uh, we have to admit that the anaerobic metabolism can play a very important role. In triathlon, by the way, as well, it's just not that obvious. Um, right. So um, the point is, you know, it's easy to acknowledge that, for example, in cycling, the most race decisive moments don't happen when you pedal at 70% of your threshold power. The race decisive <laughs> moments happen, you know, in attacks and breakaways and sprints and these kind of things, right? So in high intensities, right? This right. is mm-hmm. this is where, where it splits from the winner to the second place at least, right? Um, and those high intensive moments include naturally, I mean that's that should be that should be pretty clear. Uh, those high intensive moments include anaerobic metabolism. So we're just asking our back in the days, we just asked ourselves, okay, well, when we acknowledge that the race decisive moments in need anaerobic metabolism, then why the heck don't we measure it? 
right? Why, why the heck can't we monitor it and assess it and see how it develops and train it, right? If we accept that this is one of the most important things. And yeah, the use case is pretty is pretty clear the for, use case for cycling. Is, the use case is absolutely clear. Okay. So, and then, you know, again, I said VO2max, most people know, right? Um, let me quickly explain VO2max because this explains where the term VLA-max comes from. Um, VO2max, everybody knows and everybody, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's, common, it's commonly used. The point why we use VO2max is basically not because we are per se interested in the amount of oxygen athlete can take in. What we want to understand is we want to understand the amount of aerobic energy production, right? Um, right. Aerobic power production, if you wish. And it's not feasible, actually, it's technically not possible to just stick some kind of probe sensor into the mitochondria of your athlete while he's you know, riding along with his bike to measure energy turnover directly. But what we do know, though, we do know that the energy turnover um, in the aerobic metabolism is absolutely proportional to the oxygen uptake. And therefore, everybody's using okay. oxygen uptake because, again, it's proportional. And the same is going on, and that is simply what it is. The same is going on in the anaerobic metabolism called glycolysis. Every time you produce energy in the glycolysis, it comes along with the production of lactate. And so therefore, mm -hmm. and this goes back to, you know, I just gave a presentation uh, last week uh, for a German federation at, at, a, at the Olympic Training Center. Um, and, and I pulled out the study. It goes back to 1964 when people were using um, accumulation rates or production rates of lactate as, uh, as, an, as a marker to calculate um, energy production in the glycolysis. And that is the long story to the short answer of what is VLA-max. Uh, that's great. And so traditionally, these things would have been measured. So VO2max, you can do field tests, or you can get maybe a slightly more accurate assessment using a metabolic cart, which you know measures uh, that oxygen exchange. Yeah. So what were the traditional ways of measuring VLA-max? Or there weren't any until you guys started thinking about it? Well, there were different protocols and running and uphill running and so on and so forth to, to get an idea on, on glycolytic energy flux so on glycolytic energy production. The problem was the max. The problem was to find a scenario where, where you are able to, to, uh, to, to assess really the maximum glycolytic, so um, anaerobic energy production. Um, and the reason for that, just real quick, is because um, the glycolytic energy production, so to speak, shuts itself down. Um, uh, with a lot of anaerobic energy production, you get a drop in pH levels, you get a, a muscular acidosis, and this itself decreases the energy production in this, in this, uh, in this very pathway. So, um, so what we did or what I did in 2001 is develop um, a, a sprint test on the bike ergometer, which needed very specific settings of the bike ergometer, a 15 seconds maximum sprint test to directly measure the maximum glycolytic flux rate uh, using lactate samples and then um, and then yeah we validated it using like muscle biopsies and compared the um, the the rate of lactate production with the rate of energy production in the muscle itself to ensure that uh, or the, yeah the, the rate of glycolytic energy production in the muscle itself to to ensure that what we see outside, um, at the earlobe, so to speak, in terms of lactate, really correlates with what's going on in the muscle. Right. Cool. So uh, to tie that back into into power production, um, so you mentioned earlier, and you're right that you know most physiology folks will have will have read this fairly early on. You know there are three systems that are operating at the same time, always pretty much producing power: uh, creatine phosphate, the glycolytic system, and the aerobic system. So in order to get an accurate picture of how uh, an athlete produces his or her power, you need to understand the relative contributions of those of those three systems. And you said, you know, well, creatine phosphate is a very short acting one. So uh, generally, you guys don't don't uh, consider it. Is that right? Well, um, the truth is, we did develop later on in two thousand five. I think it was we developed a test to actually on the bike ergometer. Um, get the, the creatine phosphate number. And we used it sometimes back in high road days. We did it on guys like Geolag, Andre Greipel, Edward Boas von Hagen, and some other guys. Um, it's just super painful and not super practical. Um, okay. The point is you only need the creatine phosphate when you have an, an, a, 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 a sudden change of intensity um, or okay. the intensity is too high. Basically, 
the, the most precise way to remember it, whenever the two other systems are not supplying sufficiently enough energy, then you use creatine phosphate. So not sufficient because of time, right? Because you have a sudden change in intensity or because intensity itself is too high, like in a 100 meter sprint. Right. Uh, then you use, then you need the creatine phosphate. So this means that there is a relevance, especially like in, in, in road cycling. Um, yeah, but because it's not so easy to, me- to, to measure and the significance is not that big, for most people, you, you get the most or you get the biggest gains of value, the biggest gains of, of, of knowledge and information on how to train or how, what the performance of your athlete is uh, by looking at the other two systems. So you can, yeah, I would, I would say bottom line, you can simplify and, 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 and leave creating phosphate a little bit out of the picture, yes. Right. Okay. So here, so here's where we are, as I understand it. We have, uh, you know, a reliable means of measuring VO2 max. We have, uh, uh, you know, the algorithms that you, that you develop to measure uh, the maximal glycolytic flux. Uh, that's yeah. VLA max. So now, um, what do we? Where do we go from there? What do we do with <laughs> these two values? And how do we? How do we kind of like? How do we start to you know cook our cook our broth now that we have uh, we understand our ingredients? Yeah, it depends on what you want to cook. Right. Ah, good. Um, okay. <laughs> if you no, I mean, I, I mean, what I mean is that um, honestly, go to go and uh, go and talk to a swimming coach, or go to a, talk to an athletic coach, coach, or to a coach in whatever kayaking or something. To talk to a coach who's coaching athletes who perform in events which are like one, two, three, four minutes. So events that are long enough to have uh, a, a significant portion of aerobic metabolism and, lo- and short enough to have a significant portion of anaerobic metabolism. Those two numbers by themselves, the VLA max and the VO2 max are of high value for, for these coaches because now they understand each energy system of the athlete and they can monitor it, right? They can monitor it in training and say, okay, I did whatever, like in sprint training, interval training, I did more endurance training, and now I'm going to check, you know, if my VO2 max got higher, is my if my anaerobic system adapted in the in the way I was uh, I was hoping it would do. Um, so this by itself has, uh, you know, has has a great value for many many coaches. For endurance sports, um, you could say, well, okay, but I'm never using my VO2 max in an Ironman triathlon, right? And I never use my VLA max, and maybe. Yeah, especially in, in triathlon, but but also maybe in 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 most cycling races, not except for a sprint. Um, the value here, or yeah, how you use this information is a little bit it's is a little bit different because um, why then this is still important is because basically the maximum capacity of your or flux rate or the maximum ability of your aerobic and anaerobic, more precisely, glycolytic system determines how you compose your power in any sub-maximum scenario. So if you want to answer the question, how much of the power output that I see in a 10-minute, 20-minute effort is coming from the aerobic versus the glycolytic system, it depends on the maximum capacities and the interplay, like you like you, you said, um, the interplay of those, of those two. Um, and the same goes... Uh, for, for example, Ironman triathlon, if you want to understand how much fat do I burn and how much carbohydrate do I burn in a specific intensity in my run or bike split, um, this also is determined massively or to, the, to, to almost 100% determined by your maximum glycolytic and aerobic uh, performances. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say that again, uh, not because I don't think you did a great job explaining it, but I think it, it's it's a yeah, point no, that's sure. worth you know kind of pounding into people's heads a little bit. Um, the, so so what uh, what Sebastian was talking about is obviously for short duration sports for you know one two three minute events, uh, the glycolytic system is incredibly important, and the the case for for it in those events is clear, but the case for it in you know endurance events, and most of our listeners are going to be you know either road runners or road cyclists or triathletes and especially for road runners who are you know not who are running reasonably flat terrain not running let's say you know trails or track and field um when they're they're doing 5k through marathon and triathletes were doing sprint through uh you know sprint through uh ironman uh, those those events range anywhere from you know if you're super fast 15 minutes for a 5k into it could be 14 15 hours for an ironman um 
though the the interplay between VLA Max and VO2 Max is still very, very important for the reasons that Sebastian outlined. And that is in these somewhat shorter endurance events, uh, there is uh, a non-trivial uh, glycolytic contribution for the, you know, let's say the 5Ks, et cetera. And then for the longer events, as the longer they go, the more um, substrate availability, and that's fuel availability too, to power our muscles becomes more and more important. And for the really long events like Ironman, it becomes a significant limiter. So the, that substrate availability is a limiter. So we want to be able to spare, you know, the kind of the, uh, the stored, the endogenous glycogen to the greatest extent possible. So it, you know, behooves us to think about things like how are, how the, uh, the power that we're producing on the bike and the run, how that's composed, whether it's it's heavily aerobic or if there's even a, a small anaerobic contribution to it, because that anaerobic contribution will be using the the stored glycogen to a much greater degree. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah, that's perfectly right. And maybe maybe just uh, to add a little comment on the on the on the Ironman triathlon, a marathon, so for the you know low intensity, long endurance stuff. Um, the easiest way maybe to how to understand it. Think about you're a triathlete and you carry inside yourself a big glycolytic engine, right? You have this, for whatever reason, because that's how you were born, that's how you train or whatever. It doesn't matter. You're, you're an Ironman triathlete slash marathon runner slash ultra endurance cyclist and you have, in your muscles is a great ability for anaerobic uh, energy production. It's important to understand that this glycolytic energy production, what it does, it takes glucose, it takes sugar and, you know, uses it for energy production and creates lactate. Um, and this is the only way, this is the only way how your muscles can start to use glucose as a fuel, right? So when you have this big engine, so to speak, in your body, then you can just not turn it off just because today is Ironman Day or Marathon <laughs> Day, right? <Yep. laughs> it will always be present. It will always be running to a certain extent. Let's say whatever, let's say it's running, just to give one number, let's say it's always running at 25%. Obviously, if this engine is smaller, then 25% is less, which sure. means you produce less lactate, which maybe you say, I don't care because it's not that much anyway, but you use less glucose. And now we are talking because this is your very precious fuel which you want to save and you know distribute as smart as possible over the small distance. So that's the way how I would like you to think about that. If you have this big glycolytic engine inside you, you just cannot turn it off just because today you want to run 42 kilometers. It's always there. It's always producing lactate. Yeah, yeah, if you're an Ironman athlete, you want to be a, a, a you know Toyota Prius instead of a, instead of a you know a Ferrari. In terms of in terms of glucose combustion, yes. 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 That's a, that's a, that's an, that's a really interesting way to think about it. Um, so let's, uh, let's talk about, um, your, your company. Um, if you give us a little bit of a history of, of inside as it is and, uh, and what, uh, what you guys do for athletes and really how, uh, endurance athletes can benefit from the service that you provide. Yeah. I mean, basically, um, so inside some people ask me where the name comes from. It comes from basically it's a combination on how it's spelled, like with the SC coming from steam from the background science and the Y for answering why, like answering why a performance is what it is, like how it is uh, composed. <laughs> and cool. it's, it's basically a soft or, and, and from the, you know, from, 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 from the pronunciation inside being inside the athlete, being looking, being able to, to look in, the, have an insight into the performance. Uh, actually there's uh, one professor who was part of the, part of the initial project who said, yeah, it, it looks inside the body. It looks inside the, the muscle. So that's, that's basically what it is. It's a software that, you know, helps you to understand how the performance of an athlete is created. It looks at the most important aspects. Uh, we talked about body composition and running. It looks at running economy or swimming economy. So basically, the amount of energy you need to run a certain speed or swim a certain speed. And it looks at all these energy systems we talked about, uh, aerobic metabolism, anaerobic metabolism, fat and carbohydrate uh, combustion rates, and so on and so forth. And as indicated before, it you know, historically comes a little bit like from what we did in the past, uh, you know, in the development uh, of these algorithms and what has been used by professional cycling and similar things has been used in professional swimming and then other sports as well, especially also in triathlon, um, you know, 
some very successful athletes have 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 used these concepts and yeah how it developed i mean as i said it was naturally kind of what i have been doing for the better time of my life maybe now um this you know this this my own human performance lab so what i didn't mention initially i had my own coaching company and human performance lab in germany which uh, is called steps and by now is i think the biggest one in germany if not oh, cool. if not in europe where we, where we use the same kind of 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 methods so um obviously coaching recreational amateur amateur athletes uh, mostly cyclists but also runners and uh, many triathletes um so I think I can also relate it. That's what I'm trying to say, I guess. I can also relate it to the non-professional world. Um, so yeah, we were doing, you know, these kind of assessments and and philosophy to to really uh, to really use uh, physio, you know, human physiology and science to to understand how an athlete uh, creates a certain performance. And then in the last years, you know, which with this evolution of computer technology and the evolution of, of algorithms, um, we were able to basically take it a step further and um, use more knowledge and more scientific research to to um, uh, to create a software which uh, yeah which does all these analyzes for you and doesn't come with the need anymore to necessarily spend a whole day in the lab. Because mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, the most things you can do with Insight, you can do also in a lab. It just needs to be a very, very equipped lab with, you know, um, hardware somewhere in the higher six figures maybe. Yeah. Um, and you would just spend need to spend two days, right, <laughs> uh, in there uh, with, with the associated costs of it. Um, and I mean, basically, we're talking about inside is very similar to what you see in other in other areas of the industry. Is like you know, modern technology algorithms, you know, digitalization replaces part of hardware and labor time. And this is what Insight does now. So it it takes very simple testings, which can be done indoors or outdoors, which uh, require only whatever a power meter or a handheld lactate meter or you know small devices, which are not not as expensive uh, as the full lab equipment, and uh, allow you to then look at all these things. You know, it it discloses aerobic versus anaerobic metabolism. It, it discloses your running economy. Um, fat and carbohydrate combustion rates, anaerobic threshold, all these things. Um, Can you spend a little bit of time, Sebastian, talking about the specifics of the test? I mean, you don't need to go into the, you know, the nitty gritty of, you know, this hold this much, time, you know, do hold maximal power for this much time, but just, yeah, specifically what you can do on the bike and the run and, and the water. Yeah. So yes and no, um, because uh, because the testing protocol is is actually very very versatile. So the most so there are two gatekeepers on how to use the software. The one gatekeeper is through using any kind any kind of testing which involves lactate sampling, and this is this is used by most coaches and, and cycling, swimming, and all different kind of sports. Um, and there the protocol is. It's, it's, it's pretty flexible. Actually, if you asked uh, Team Bora or if you asked Team Jumbo or if you asked the Swimming Federation, they all have different protocols, hmm. okay. um, which, is, which is part of the value of the software because you can adapt the protocol to your needs, right? A commercial user who has to be mindful of his labor um, will have a different protocol than, for example, Dan Lorang, uh, who's the coach of Bora and Jan Frodeno. Yes. Um, um, using, using the software um, where his testing needs to be as good as possible integrated into the training process because he doesn't want to stop training. He just wants to gather the important data points from his training sessions. Understood. Um, so therefore it's 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 very flexible, very versatile. Basically the best the best idea um, is um, what is what's its software, what's the algorithm is trying to understand. The algorithms are trying to understand how the lactate concentration in your body um, changes as a function of intensity. Which most people know from incremental tests, yes. and as a function of time, because we know lactate changes with time, right? If I put you, Michael, no offense, uh, at 400 watts on an ergometer for 10 seconds or 10 minutes, no offense, I will most likely get different lactate concentration. <laughs> most right? likely, you're not, you're not, you're not going to be able to get me to do 10 minutes at 400 watts. <laughs> so, 
So we know that lactate changes over time and lactate changes over intensity. Therefore, the software needs to understand both. And as sure. long as you as long as you provide data points uh, with different intensities and different durations, that's cool. The other gatekeeper is using only by data. data. By the end of the year, most likely also uh, power meter data from a running power meter. That's very exciting. Yeah, um, working on it. Um, so... Um, and this requires a very, a very strict uh, protocol, actually, um, a, a very, very strict protocol, which at this moment um, is is contain, you know, is is composed of of, of three different power outputs, uh, maximum efforts of uh, fifteen seconds, four minutes, and twenty minutes. Um, but uh, we are going to have uh, an update here, a major update. Some people are already using it in a, in a, in a beta testing. Some uh, professional teams uh, actually use it, um, where the protocol becomes much, much more versatile in terms of you can, uh, yeah, you're, you're more flexible in what kind of efforts um, you put you put in there. Um, so this is the other the other gatekeeper, which gives you 90, 95% of the same data as if you would get from a lactate testing in a lab or in a field. Got it. Got it. That's excellent. So let's uh, now that we, you know, we've uh, we've we've done the testing. We have our, our values for VO two max, VLA max. What uh, what sort of how can we use this to guide our our training? How do we how do we you know season our soup now that we have we have uh, we understand our ingredients and what we're where we're starting? And then for this specific example, let's say that um, maybe we can do two. But let's say that we're, you're that you're coaching an Ironman athlete who has just done an inside test, and give us some some examples of what the data could reveal and how you, that might guide the training for this individual. Sure, sure. I mean, the basic idea and the basic concept behind it is you want to dissect the performance uh, as much as possible, right? It would be I come to you okay. and say, um, I want a training program. I want to, I want to, I want to improve my Ironman performance. I currently finish in eleven hours. Mm -hmm. One of the first things you would do, you would dissect those eleven hours, understand how much time do I spend on the, in the water, on the bike, and in my running shoes, right? sure. um, to understand where you can improve and. Just a level, you know, a one level deeper, that's the same what you would do with an inside test. So you test your athlete and you now have an understanding, okay, what is his performance, whatever, whatever you tested in the swim, on the bike, on the run. And you understand now how this performance is created. So what I mean with that is me, let's say, let's say we focus on the run for the sake of simplicity. Okay. Yep. Um, you obviously pretty easy to access. You have the body weight of your athlete. Hopefully you maybe also have the body composition, some kind of body fat understanding. Okay. And then yep. you would see also the running economy. So how much energy the athlete needs to run the desired speed uh, for his, for his, for, for his, um, for his uh, run split in the Ironman. Mm -hmm. uh, you would also see, like you say, the VO2 max, VLA max, fat combustion, um, you know, threshold, carbohydrate combustion, and so on and so forth. And now what the software allows you to do, it allows you to manipulate one or more of those metrics, right? So huh, okay. you could go in and say, ah, let's see, let's say we change the running economy. Or let's say we drop two kilograms, right? Anything that you in you as a coach in combination with your athlete, you know, think is feasible as a goal for the upcoming training weeks and months, right? You think, okay, I think, you know, I could drop two kilograms or, um, you know, maybe we can try, maybe we can try to increase his VO2 max, right? We can try to increase his, his aerobic capacity, so to speak. And then you can just enter this number into the software and then the software calculates for you what would change. How much would your fat combustion change? How much would your carbohydrate sparing change? How much would your running speed at a certain, you know, a load, so to speak, or, or at a certain strain would change, right? So now you can quantify, you can quantify, you know, uh, where should I focus on in training? Should I, should I focus more on losing body weight? Should I focus more on my running economy or... Should I focus on all? But then you have an order, right? What is the most important one? Mm -hmm. Where do you have the biggest potential for improvement, right. right? And, you know, honestly, this is what we would expect from all different 
other services in our life, right? That's that's what we would like if if I wanna whatever if I wanna if if I wanna tune my car and make my car faster, there may be different options what I can do, right, to make it faster, and I would. I would look at things and 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 think, okay, how much money would I invest and how much speed does it buy me? And we don't even have to go this far as, as a triathlete. You would do the same, for example, think about your bike equipment, right? In the bike equipment, Absolutely. you're doing exactly the same thing. Before you spend some money, you try to understand how many watts do I save? I mean, there are these tables, right? How many watts do you save per dollar or per $100 or something, right? Sure. You want to do the, exactly the same thing. So why the heck sorry, are we not doing it with performance? And this is what you do with insight, right? You dissect your performance and then you can start to understand where should I focus on in training? And maybe two kilograms dropping, dropping body weight, two grams is great for you, but maybe you don't want to, you know, sacrifice your beer or bottle of wine or partying with your friends or whatever. And that's, but at least you can put a number behind it, right? So, you know. Absolutely. That's really, that's, that's terrific insight. And that's something that we, you know, so far haven't really, haven't really had, at least not without, as you say, not without spending a day or two at the lab. Uh, so one of the other things that, uh, that you can do with inside data is actually create a very detailed pacing and nutrition plan. And these two things are actually tied together, obviously, because, you know, the faster you go, the more, uh, the more of those carbohydrates you burn as we've, as we talked about earlier. So Sebastian, if you can, uh, you know, again, taking that, let's say, let's take an open marathon now as an example. So somebody just running 42.2, um, they've, uh, they've gone ahead and done the lactate, uh, inside test. Um, and what what are the relevant pieces of information for them to now design their race plan and their nutrition plan? Right. Yeah. So so yeah, we could you know use a marathon as an example here. Uh, we have a lot of people doing it for uh, for, for Ironman uh, as well. Um, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, or for other events. Uh, we even have professional teams using it, like the, the Grand Tours uh, for their riders. Um, basically, what it comes down to um, in terms of you know energy. Uh, the bottleneck is your are your carbohydrates, right? So, um, right, because uh, as you might be aware, um, the maximum exogenous intake is approximately sixty to ninety grams per hour, even even you know with the best kind of carbohydrate combinations of fructose and glucose, you know you cannot really exceed exceed sure. this. And then obviously, the amount of glucose stored in your muscles is is uh, is limited right um and we're only talking about the working muscle that's by the way something that often people confuse they, they look at the total glycogen amount in their body and they forget about that there's no transfer while you're running there's no transfer from your like say from your hmm. pectoralis down to your quadriceps that's not really happening that's an that's an important distinction that's something i never realized that, okay, yeah it, good it point. is when you bonk when you run out of energy when you have a hangover flat you don't have that uh, like on the bike for example you don't have that because your pectoralis is empty of, of glucose it's it's pretty full <laughs> it's pretty full there's nice nice studies where they can even prove that even if they have your single leg cycling Right, the one axis, yeah. the one leg is depleted, the other is not. That's a very old classic uh, protocol for scientific huh. studies. Okay, um, well, that's something new to me. So, Great. so the first thing is everything you see in inside is only related to your working space, only related to your working muscle, to your working tissue. Right. So the carbohydrate Got Got you it. get in inside is only related to your working muscle, which makes it. You know, sometimes it's confusing because people compare it to the lab test result and see there's a difference because in the lab, they, they measure whole body with a metabolic heart. Um, but anyway, so um, we wanted to answer the question how you use this information, how people are using it very successfully to come up with a pacing and fueling strategy. So you start with, okay, how much glycogen do I have approximately stored in my athlete? And we'll have a little helper tool to calculate that based on, on approximate body composition and body weight. How much carbohydrates do you have stored in your muscles, right? right. And then you have to think about how much can I eat? How much can I fuel, in your example, during the marathon run, right? Can I have one, sure. two gels, uh, three gels per hour whatsoever, okay? And this gives you a total amount of carbohydrates. Um and then with inside, we show you the very precisely the carbohydrate combustion at different speeds. So now it's it's you know it's very simple so to speak uh, to calculate from uh, how much carbohydrate do I want to burn per hour? Like let's say 150, okay, um, 
And if my event then lasts four hours, I'm ending up at 600 grams, right? So if this is if this yes. is the amount of carbohydrates that I have, because I assume I have 400 grams stored and maybe eat 200, like in this case, 50 grams an hour, which would be two gels approximately, right? Then right. you have the right pacing, right? Then you have the right pacing because that would allow you to run the speed, right? If you would run faster, the software would tell you oh, at this speed, uh, you maybe not need 150 grams or 170 grams, and therefore you empty your carbohydrates at whatever kilometer 35. <laughs> and that's that's a bad day. We've I think a lot of us have been there who've run marathons. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah so that is that is how how you can use it, and um, from a practical application point of view, also what it does, it helps you to understand precisely um, how much you would gain from actually training not your muscles, but training your guts to take in more carbohydrates, right? Because mm -hmm. most people know that this is important. You need to be able to take in more carbohydrates. Now, the difference is in your training schedule, just say, oh, yeah, you need to you need to practice more carbohydrates. That's one thing, right? In terms of motivation and compliance and buy-in is one end. On the other end, if I can show you, okay, if you can take in 20 grams more of carbohydrates, then you run, then you break whatever your four-hour threshold or three-hour threshold, which you're trying, you know, to break. Um, it's a difference, right? There's a difference in motivation. And then Absolutely. if I if I then provide you with a, with a training program, say, okay, in those two sessions per week, we are trying that. On those two sessions per week, we're not doing low carb or something. I just want you to, you know, to to eat to mimic the nutrition of the race, right? And and step by step increase your carbide intake to see how we can where we can take it. Or if it's only trying different products, right? Because one guy is, you know, can tolerate the one product better than, than another product. Sure. Um, it's, it's highly individual. Um, you know, it really takes this train this very simple training of nutrition into your training program. And for me, this is free speed. This is free speed similar to being more aerodynamic on the bike because you don't need to train more. You don't need to train harder. You just need to, what for me is train smarter by practicing your nutrition in the training to ensure that you have the maximum fueling abilities or capacities used in your actual marathon, right? Yep. And having this information, that's my, my last comment I think on this topic, having this information on how fast I can run how much do I need to eat um, is psychologically super, super important for many, many athletes. Because think about an Ironman or think about a marathon, especially with, a, with an Ironman, it's even, it's even a bigger thing. You know, it's not something you do every weekend, right? Of course. If, yeah. you're, if you're not Cameron Wirth, right? Um, <laughs> so um, it's not something you do every weekend, right? Um, you go training, you go training and you maybe do an Ironman the first time or the second time. You maybe do one or one Ironman per year or maybe twice, right? And sure. you are very comfortable in the training scenario, right? Because you bonked already three times in training, right? And you know on this on this road I bonked already and then, you know, you, you have a good feeling, you know what I mean? It's inherently in you. You have a good feeling how much you should eat and drink with these different training sessions because you know your roads, you know your trainings. It's a, it's a common – it's a common – it's a common thing that you have been used to do. Yeah, right? you can get comfortable with it for sure. Exactly. And now this Ironman race comes and you invest so much, right? You take holiday, you have to drive there. It's, it's not really, you know, you have the sign up fee, you bought, you bought oh, yeah. a new set of wheels, all these <laughs> kind of things, right? And when it so you, so you try to prepare everything, but your schedule for the day, right? Your master plan for the day for the day itself, so to speak, it's a pretty it's a pretty blank page, right? In terms of power output and fueling. And if you're able to take this away and guide your athlete and say, okay, look, this is the power output on the bike, and this is how much you eat, and we practice that, and this is your running speed, and this is what, this is what you need to add, and we practice that. You eat there, 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 so many times. You have a master plan, and you just go through the day checking those boxes, right? Yep. Did I, you know, every 10K, did I do this, did I do that? And it's a relief. It's an absolute relief. 100%. It's a very process-oriented kind of approach yes. to, to racing. Yes. And that's, yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, th those of you guys listening who I coach, you you know that that's what we do. Um, and I'm, I'm a big fan of it as an athlete and as a coach. I think that's, that's the surest road to success. And you're right. It does, it does take a lot of that cognitive load off because you yeah. no longer have to think yeah. about it because you have a plan, you know, you have hopefully faith in that plan and that then you just have to execute.
I see. And and you, of course, you might you might adjust it, right? And you of maybe course. take the and you maybe take the, the the plan from the last time and iterate and make try to make it better and more precise. And that's all cool, especially modifying the plan during the race. But at least you have a guideline which you can use, right? For sure, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, Sebastian. Um, this was a this was a great conversation. And I look, you and I have spoken, I think, three or four times already. And uh, each time I, I chat with you, I learn something new. So thank you for your time. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, Michael. It was great. Yeah, thank you. And, and we uh, there's there's stuff that uh, I know. I'm looking at my questions now. There's still there's still things on that list that I want to ask. But maybe we can, you know, in the in a little while, we can do we yeah, can do maybe. a follow up. Yeah, maybe we do a follow up and come back. Excellent. Sounds great. Perfect. Um, Sebastian, uh, where can people learn more about Inside? Oh yeah, so there's a there's a website, obviously, right? Yep. Um, it's spelled i n s c y d dot com, inside dot com. Um, and, and we'll put that we'll put that link in our show notes. Okay. As well. Okay. So so there's so there's uh, there's plenty of information on there. Uh, there are some some free white papers, and we do free webinars. And there's uh, I would especially point the uh, point to to the blog posts. There's uh, more scientific blog posts, but there's also more um, there's also more blog posts related to like you know practical application use cases from athletes and coaches and so on and so forth. Sure, and I'll I'll link to a couple of those. Uh, I read them uh, pretty religiously, so I'll link to the ones that I, I found the most useful. Uh, in the show notes as well, guys. So you can you can check okay. that stuff out there. Um, and if you uh, if you're looking for critical power testing on the bike, um, X3 is uh, is an inside partner in that. So uh, reach out to me, and we can uh, we can get you sorted out with that. 